Amen. He is a good father. Amen. So thankful for the love of our father. And uh, I appreciate what Pastor Greg prayed there. Uh, Our earthly fathers are intended to be an example of the heavenly father. But we know, uh, especially as a dad myself, uh, I will never be perfect. I will never always reflect the, the character of my heavenly father. And so I'm thankful that where we have stumbled, there is grace. And we strive to push others to Christ and to be that example as God is leading us to do so. Uh, This morning, uh, kind of in a sense, follow up to our Holy Spirit, activity of the Holy Spirit. And not only uh, who he is, but what he does in and through the lives of believers and in his church. Uh, And so if you missed that, go back, check that out. You can go online, you can find all the sermons there. So we encourage you to do so. But as I was kind of praying about where the Lord would have us to go for the next couple of weeks, um, and really kind of just individual sermons that God may be laying on our hearts and my heart, uh, kind of in a sense, a follow-up to something we spoke about in the last sermon, which was talking about how do we develop an understanding of our spiritual gift? How do we know what our spiritual gift is? And in doing so, I kind of gave you some real basic ideas on what you can begin to do to seek the Spirit, seek the Lord, to discover what your spiritual gift may be. As I was reading through this week and just reading some different things and studying some different things, the grander question came to my mind, not just how do I know what my gift is in the Spirit of God, but how do I really discover the will of God for my life, which is a part of understanding the gift that God has given you. And so through studying this week, we're going to talk this morning about discovering God's will for your life. Now, this isn't just going to be some grand understanding, meaning the ultimate purpose of your life or even a specific call or intent and one calling over another. It's even meant to be applied to day-to-day situations. So there's times in our days where we want to know what God would have us to do in a decision. There's small little things that come up. There's bigger decisions to be made. How do we know? How do we discover what God would have us to do in those moment-by-moment decisions or in a grander sense in our lives and what we may be wanting to know of God in our lives. And so when we seek him in trying to discern our gift, we are also in a sense asking, what do you want me to do with that gift in my life? That's kind of where my mindset was when I was writing this sermon. If I'm praying and asking God, what is the gift that you've given me that I might serve you and serve your church? The real question is, well, how do you want me to use that gift to serve you and to serve your church? And so along those lines, we might start asking and and thinking through, well, then what's God's will for my life? This is a very popular question. So many believers will ask this question. And I would say and suggest to you that while I'm going to give you some things that I came across in my studies, there's also a very unique nature to this. So I'm going to give you some general principles that we can apply to our lives that I believe are from God's word. But in a specific call, meaning, are you called to be a missionary or a pastor? Because, by the way, a missionary is just a pastor overseas, right? A church planner here usually isn't called a missionary. We call them church planners. But when a person says, I'm going to uproot my family and move to a different location that happens to be in a different country and establish a church and grow up a body of Christ so that they may be able to take that church over and run that church to the glory of God, we don't call that person usually a church planner when they're overseas. We call them a missionary. And so when you get down to understanding, okay, God wants me to to plan a church, but does he want me to do it in Michigan? Does he want me to do it in Iowa? Does he want me to do it in California? Does he want me to do it in Africa? Like those are the things that we might know the rough idea of what we're supposed to do or what God might be calling us to do. 
But then it gets in those really specifics. And I've met so many Christians that are like, man, I, I think I missed it. I think I missed it. When I was 16 or 17 or 18, I feel like God called me to this specific thing and I didn't obey. So I think I missed it. And now I'm 40 something or 50 something or 60 something. And I just blew it as though somehow God just was unable to work in your life because you made that choice at 18. And now you've been useless to God for all those years. That's how we feel, but that's not really true, is it? I do believe that there's a unique aspect to God's calling us into specific fields or specific ministries. So this morning, I'm not going to give you the answer to that question for you. I'm not going to come to you and tell you, yeah, you're supposed to be a missionary. Like, you know, this side of the church is supposed to be uh, pastors and missionaries and church leaders. And this side's supposed to be this and the middle. No, no, no. There's a unique nature to this. And so these principles are meant to lead you in your relationship with Christ so you can become more aware of maybe where that specific calling might be. So I want to walk through some basic steps that we can take to help us discover his will in both the general sense, meaning everyday situations, as well as the grander sense with our lives as a whole. Now, I will say this. These are very basic things. And I'm going to get to a point here where you're going to kind of discover that I think Renee looked at my notes before she came up to lead worship. So, because her verse, the verse she read and the prayer and what she talked, it was right on point. It was right on point. And so we're going to get to that in a moment here. But as we talk about this, I want to be careful that you don't write this down and go, okay, I'm going to do these things and in, in 24 hours I'll know. Or in 72 hours I'll know. Or in a week I'll know. Or in a month I'll know. This is not saying it's an equation that if you just plug these things in, you'll get an answer like a vending machine. It's saying as you develop these things in your Christian life and as it becomes habitual to live in these things, I believe based on the word of God, God by the working of the spirit will begin to open our minds to understanding that we might know in those moments what we may do that would glorify God. And the reason I want to set the stage with these things is because I believe if we don't discipline ourselves now to begin to have these habits and traits When we get into the moment of decision, we're really going to struggle. It's really a bad idea to wait till you're in that moment of A or B and then decide, man, I wonder what God would want me to do. And have no basis of any kind of an understanding of some basic things that would lead you into going, I strongly believe it's this and not that. This is definitely true when it comes to areas of temptation in our lives. And we see this in this way. That we should be disciplining ourselves now so that when we come into a moment of temptation, we're not in that moment trying to decide what's right and what's wrong and what to do and not do. Because often when we wait till we get into that moment, we're going to make the wrong decision because we haven't disciplined ourselves. We haven't prepared ourselves for that moment. And so this is just intended to give you that, that groundwork to be able to discipline ourselves and to understand what do I need to have in my life as habits in my relationship with Christ from the word of God that would help me to know what God would have me to do. As I said, I came across these simple points just actually in my personal study. I wasn't looking for a sermon outline in my reading of of this certain resource. And as I was reading through this resource, these these couple points jumped out at me. And I started jotting them down just again, just kind of, man, that's kind of interesting. I find that interesting for myself. And then as we led into this week, God kind of brought those things to my mind. So I'm going to share those things with you. But to start, let's go to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, you can turn to page 851. 
So if you're using one of the Bibles provided in the seats there, page 851, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 13, and we're going to be in verse 20. So Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 20. Hebrews is an amazing book. If you've never studied it, we had the opportunity a, a while ago to go through this on Wednesday nights. And we looked into the kind of the content of Hebrews. And Hebrews chapter 13 is kind of a, kind of a hodgepodge of different encouragements and challenges and, and just words of encouragement. Things to kind of draw us into a better understanding of some things that he's covered in the book. The author has covered in the book so far. And if you read chapter 13, it kind of feels like it's jumping around a lot, but it's really not. It's kind of application to what we've been reading in the whole book. And so look at verse 20 of Hebrews chapter 13. Now the God of peace, which is an amazing title for our God, amen? He is the God of peace. He gives us peace, John 14, 27, by the working of the Holy Spirit. He, he gives us a peace that passes all understanding, as Philippians talks about. But his very character is a God of peace. It goes on to say in verse 20, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, and so there's resurrection right there, that great shepherd of the sheep, so he is our great shepherd, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. That's that eternal covenant we have in Christ. Verse 21. So glorifying God, honoring God in verse 20. Everything that's going to happen in verse 21 is because of verse 20. Makes sense, right? We can't have verse 21 without what we see in verse 20. So when we talk about what we're going to talk about, everything is in the context of God rose Jesus from the dead, and in Christ we've been resurrected to new life. Now we live in Christ. Everything we do is in Christ, for Christ, because of Christ. And so everything is in that context. Verse 21. That same God, that same Savior, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. How is it even possible that I can do anything that would please God, that would possibly bring joy to him? It's because of him. It's because of Christ. It's because of the resurrection. And it's because I've been resurrected in this everlasting covenant that I might please him as he works his will in us. Let's pray and ask God to affirm these things in our hearts and minds. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. So often, Lord, we can get so consumed with our own stuff, our own schedules, our own appointments, our desires, our wants. We get caught up in the things of the world and we start thinking it's about what we want to pursue. And we say we want to live your will, but practically we pretty well do our own will. We pretty well set in our minds, even at a young age, this is what I'm going to do. And we don't allow much of anything to, to distract or take away from that. And we're committed to it. And then often what we'll do, Lord, is as we're doing our will, we'll pray a prayer or we'll seek you out and we'll try to take what you might want for us and mash that into what we're already determined we're going to do. And so we say we want to live your will, but as long as your will doesn't conflict too much with our wants and our desires, as long as it doesn't make us uncomfortable or it's not too inconvenient, as long as I can still have 
the house I've always wanted, the cars I've always wanted, the vacations I've always wanted. And as long as I can still have everything I want, Lord, I'd love to live your will. Lord, I pray that as we come into this talk this morning, this message from your word, that we would endeavor to understand that, yes, it's fine to have desires. It's fine to want things and to honor you in the receiving of those things. But I pray that your will would be done, not our own. That if we are experiencing these things, it's because we're seeking you and you first. And that as a byproduct of that, Lord, you allow these things, these blessings to come into our life. But Lord, I believe there's a lot of Christians in our world today, in our nation today, that love when you allow them to just do what they want, which you will. You'll let us choose to do what we want to do, but I pray that we would choose to respond to your will. Because, Lord, I believe that even when we don't realize it, as followers of Christ, you're working in us. You're moving in us to your glory and to your pleasure. You're doing things and allowing things that will bring glory to your name, and you're working in us even when we're unaware of it. So, Father, I know that you're always going to work, and your will will always be accomplished. I'm just saying, Lord, I pray that we would consciously desire to be a part of what you're doing, to be aware. So help us to have wisdom by the working of the Holy Spirit as only you can. And we'll give you all the glory and praise and we ask in Jesus' name, amen. So God, according to Hebrews 13, 21, God is working through us what is pleasing to him. That God is working in you as a follower of Christ what is pleasing to him. When we seek his will for our lives, we are admitting that our will is less than the best our life can be in Christ. When you come to a point of saying, God, I want your will, not my will to be done. You're admitting your will is less than the best your life can be in Christ. Now, I'm not talking about living your best life now in the sense of what we hear it talked about in our culture today based on a fairly famous, popular, heretical book. That's not what I'm referring to. What I'm saying is, I believe that when John 10.10 says that we need to live the abundant life, that's seeking his will above all else. Because we realize only when we seek his will will we be fully pleasing to him. And in fully being pleasing to him, guess what's a byproduct of that? We'll be full of joy. And we'll be happy and joyful and content and have peace. Because we know we're striving to please him. And when we live his will, he is pleased. He is glorified. There is no greater joy for us, than to know that our lives are pleasing to him. So the question we have to ask is, if if the Bible's clear that to please him, we need to live in his will, then what is his will? How do I discover the will of God, either in a moment or in a grand scale for my life? Now, many books have been written. Tons of articles have been written on this topic. Tons of people have researched and looked into this and put together outlines and things of that nature. So I don't claim to have anything new under the sun. What I do hope is that these simple points will drive us to evaluate when I come into a moment of decision, or rather before I even get to that point, what am I thinking about as far as when I make this decision, what's the outcome going to be? Is it that God is glorified and his will is done and He is praised, or is it that I am glorified and that I am praised and that I am content and I got what I want? And so the first thing we have to do is start with a very basic understanding. If you're taking notes this morning, you can jot down a real simple idea here. We search after his will, and I believe we need to search after it. 
I believe the Bible says we need to search after the will of God. We need to put work and effort into this. He's going to work in us. He's going to give us the wisdom. But we got a desire to know what his will is. This is what we see all through the book of Proverbs, to seek after wisdom. And I believe that wisdom is really understanding the will of God. And we need to put work into this. It's a pursuit. And Proverbs says it is the greatest pursuit that you could ever endeavor to take part in, to know him and to know his will. And so we search after his will through fear, through fear. So the first idea we're going to look at is this idea of fear. And this is where I think Renee peeked at my notes. Her, the passage she read from Psalms and, and what was shared there is, is exactly not the same passage, but exactly where we're going to go in this first point. And see, fear is a word that's like becoming a bad word in churches. And I know what they mean when they say no fear, only faith. They're talking about fear of man. They're talking about a fear of failing man and having man look down on me and not having the, the praise and all of this of man that I, I struggle in my walk with Christ because I want to make everyone happy around me because I'm fearful. I might lose your acceptance or lose your approval. That is not what we're talking about this morning. We don't need to live in a fear of man, but we 100% need to live in a fear of God. And I think too often we don't have a genuine fear of God because we don't let the scriptures define God to us. We've created a God in our own minds. We've created a very soft grandpa-type God. And we, we're not really afraid of this God. And I'm not talking about fearful, meaning he's going to strike me down. But, but he's a powerful God. We need to have a true fear of God in our hearts. I'm going to read, you don't need to turn there, you can jot down Psalm 2514. Psalm 2514 and Proverbs 1 7 are two references you can jot down. Psalm 2514, Proverbs 1 7. I'm just going to read Psalm 2514. It says this The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. And he will show them his covenant. Proverbs speaks to the idea that the beginning of knowledge is the fear of God. You see, we need to understand when we have a fear of God in our hearts, we are able to know the will of God for our lives. When you have a genuine fear of God in your hearts, you are able to now understand the will of God for your lives. Namely, first and foremost, rather, his covenant of grace granted to us in Christ. See, fear of God will lead us to understand the reality of our sin and the consequence of our sin and the judgment of our sin. And it will also bring us to a knowledge of understanding the grace we've received in Christ, which will lead us into a humility before Christ. And an understanding that I am so humbled, I deserved the wrath of God. And he was just to give it to me. But I also received the grace of God freely, undeserved in Christ. And now... I fear him in the sense of I, I honor him and I recognize him as the God of all creation. But I am not afraid of him because in Christ he is my heavenly father. This is not, again, when it says the secrets of the Lord. This is not a super special knowledge only given to a select few. A fear of the Lord merely opens the mind up to the truth of his word. This fear is also, in my opinion, so much more than a mere respect or reverence. It is a realization of the vastness of God and the smallness of us. I've heard people say this. Well, when it says the fear of God, first of all, you don't need to be afraid of God. 
because God doesn't want you to be afraid of him. Well, if you're in Christ, you don't need to be afraid of God. If you're outside of Christ, you need to be terrified of God. People tell you, well, God loves you and that's why you need to be saved. And they'll preach this message and God does love them. But they never mention sin. They never mention hell. They never mention wrath. And then the person's going, well, it sounds like I could take it or leave it, this whole gospel thing. It doesn't sound that appealing right now, so I'll just leave it because it really doesn't matter. No, no, no. We should start with an unbeliever and say, you are under the wrath of God and God will judge. But there was a Savior who came who died on the cross for your sins. See, so many people in our world today, including Christians, we don't have the right view of God, so we don't evangelize with the right view of God. So we preach a God who's begging for acceptance, who's just, please accept me, please, 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 please. And God is in heaven saying, no, 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 no. I will grant you salvation if you receive Christ, but I don't need you. We need to have a healthy fear of God. Your God spoke everything into creation except for mankind, which he formed of his hands. He's that powerful. Jesus in the garden, when the soldiers come, one of my, one of the most amazing and yet kind of hilarious moments in the gospels. The soldiers come and Jesus says, who do you ask for? Who do you seek? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am he. Really, most people say it translates better to I am, which we know from Exodus is the name of God. And when Jesus, as God, spoke the name of God, they fell on their faces before him by the pure word of God. Then they got up and arrested him. That's the funny part. If you were one of those soldiers, would you just think to yourself, maybe for a moment, I don't really want to mess with this guy. Like he just said two words and I'm on the ground. I don't even know how I got here. I'm resigning from the military. I'm done. I'm not messing with this guy. Do we fear our God whose very word can drive us to our face? Do we fear a God who every time, whether in vision or in a moment of being with him before his throne, that the very sight of the throne of God, not even God himself, but the throne of God, drives men to their knees as dead men? Isaiah's awareness of his sin was instant just in the presence of the throne of God. Moses was told, you can't see me head on, Moses, because you would die. That's our God. And we have a flippid, lackadaisical, apathetic attitude towards him most days. We think of his will as a maybe if it's okay and it doesn't, you know, inconvenience me too much. I truly believe that until we have a genuine fear of God, not just a mere respect. People say that, well, it's not, it's not be afraid of God, it's a respect of God. Just respect him. Well, problem is I don't think we really understand respect too much more in our culture. Because I see disrespect given to people every day, all day. We don't respect people in positions of authority. And by the way, before you jump on this generation that's coming up that's demonstrating that respect, they learned it somewhere. We don't respect our president. We don't, and I know, you, well, he hasn't earned my respect. You know, the once upon a time, there was a day where we just respected people because they were in that position. We didn't have to agree with them, but we could respect them. Preachers aren't respected anymore for the most part in our culture. Law enforcement isn't respected. People who serve in the military are looked down upon, not really respected. I mean, yeah, they have a couple days in the year. We do some stuff for some sports events and we put them on the screen, but that's about it. I mean, are veterans really respected in our country today? Once upon a time, they were. See, I think part of the problem is that we say things like, well, I, I just have a reverence of God. I don't think we really know what that word reverence really means. 
the fear of God as I am driven to my knees before my holy and just and powerful creator God, and I worship him as God. Yes, he is my heavenly father, and yes, in Christ I have a relationship with him, but he never ceased to be the God that he was and continues to be. And we should have a fear of him, not afraid of him, but a fear of appreciating the vastness of God and the smallness of mankind. I believe it's Isaiah that says that God sits above the earth, the sphere of the earth, and I'm like a grasshopper before him. Just the vastness of God. I really believe we will not really seek the will of God until we have a fear of God, until we understand who our God is. One of the greatest dangers in not having a fear of God is we begin to think of ourselves more than God. We elevate ourselves. We are bigger. He is smaller. That's the problem with sin. Sin will always elevate you and, and lower God down to something simpler. That's why sin becomes more appealing because we won't fear God. So we give in to sin rather than realizing that God says, don't do that. That's not going to be good for you. But we've lowered him down here and we're up here and this feels good. So I'm going to ignore God and do what I want because ultimately it's about me. But man, we have a fear of God. We will lower ourselves humbly before him and elevate him to where he needs to be. But this really shouldn't surprise us. That was the call of Satan in the Garden of Eden. What was the temptation? To eat of this tree and you will be like God. It's always been the same thing. But if I have a fear in my heart for God and realize who he is from his word, then I will say my life is yours. Your will be done, not my will be done. And I think it starts there. Secondly, not only do we need to have a healthy fear of God in our hearts to be able to seek out and understand the will of God in a moment or in a grand scale, I truly believe we need to study. So how do we understand this? We seek after his will through study. And pretty simple, study the word more. Study the word more. More. Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. How will I possibly understand the will of God for my life? The word of God will be a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. I will see the path before me and follow it by God's grace as I'm studying the word more. But we don't just study the word more. We study the word more and the concerns and interests of the world less. We study the word more and the concerns and interests of the world less. And I believe that's a huge point for, I pray, everyone in the room to understand. It's not just about getting into the word. It's about getting in the word more and concerned with the world less. Not the people of the world. We love our neighbors as ourselves. We preach the gospel to them. We serve them. We minister to them. But the interest and concerns of the world must be second, a distant second to the word of God. And I think the more that we study the word and we study the word and we understand the God of the word, which again will reinforce that fear we talked about a little bit ago. The more I know this word and I know this God, man, the interest of this world and the concerns of this world will fade into the background. You will find yourself at peace more. You won't stress over things. Man, I, some of us were so consumed by the interest of the world. And what do I mean by the interest of the world? The love of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The stuff. The stuff. 
And I think the more we're concerned with the interests of the world, the less concerned we are with the will of God because the will of God won't always bring what the world says we should have in our lives. But man, when I study the word and I know this God and I know his goodness and I know his grace and I know his love for me, and I know that to please him is to do his will, then I'm going to desire that greater than the things of the world. Psalm 119, you can go there with me. Psalm 119, verse 9. And if you're using the Bibles provided, you can turn to page 451. Psalm 119 and verse 9. Psalm 119. Amen. Maybe somebody turned there and it was like, you're here. And it gives you this little. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. We're going to read the whole section here. And if you, if you have a study Bible or different Bibles, we'll actually break up the Psalm 119 in different sections. And so this is a whole section in the book of Psalms in chapter 119. So verse 9, I want you to listen to what the author of the Psalm shares with us. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word? With my whole heart have I sought thee, O let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Do you see the connection? Sin of the flesh, sin of pride, sin of following the things of this world is a byproduct of ignoring the word of God in our lives. Temptation will come to every single one of us, no matter how long you've been saved, no matter how strong you think you are. Temptation will come every day of your life until the day you leave this world. It's just, it's going to happen. I remember I used to think, I can't wait till I get married, because when I get married, all the temptation will go away. Wrong. I can't wait till I'm older, because once I hit, you know, 30, then I'll, all, I'll be mature and all the... And then I remember I was like 39 or something, and I was listening to a message by Vody Bacham, and he said, you don't even start to get smart until you get out of your 30s. And I was like, well, I got a couple more years yet. We do this. We think, oh, if I could just figure, if I could just conquer this. No, no, no. You want to know the secret to overcoming temptation? It's the word of God. If Jesus Christ, while being tempted of Satan, his response was the word of God, why do we think our response should be anything else? Why do you think your willpower will do it when Jesus demonstrated the victory over the temptation of Satan by the word of God? It goes on to say this in verse 12. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. With my lips have I declared all the judgments of thy mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. So he's saying... The testimonies, the word of God is as great or greater than any material wealth you could possibly accumulate. I rejoiced in your word greater or as great as all these riches that I have. So if you were a billionaire and you would look at your amount of money and material and all this stuff and people think, if I could just get that house, that car, that thing, then I would be happy. Then I would rejoice. The psalmist says, no, 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 no. Just knowing the word of God and dwelling in it brings me just as much joy as if I was a billionaire and had everything I could ever want. By the way, Solomon says, 
in his writings and lamentations that you can chase after the wind if you want. You can chase all the stuff and you'll still be empty. It's vanity of vanities. But the psalmist says, but the word of God can bring you great joy. It goes on to say in verse 15, I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will meditate. Don't think meditate like, you know, hee-haw, hee, or whatever. Okay, don't think that, okay? I just thought it was a cartoon of a, anyway, sorry, I'm just, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. Okay. What does it mean to meditate? It means to dwell on these things day and night, to think on these things, to mull them over in your mind. This means when you're at work doing your job and you're thinking about what you're doing and then you get that little break for a few moments where you kind of let your mind just rest, your mind goes to the word of God. It's when you're at home and you're kind of just with your family or with your friends or whatever you're doing and there's that little lull, you think about the word of God. It just, it dwells on your mind. But, but my challenge is this, how many of us would be honest enough to say between us and the Lord that I'm in the word so much that the word of God is what comes to my mind first when my mind has a moment to rest? Or is it the next thing you got to do? Or is it the next thing you want? Or is it this or that? Do our minds really meditate on the precepts? Verse 16, I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. I will delight myself. You know what that means? Not only do we find joy in the word of God, it's what brings me delight. It's what makes me happy. Some of us, we love hobbies. We love different types of activities. Some of us love, we're going to do this archery event. Some of us love archery. Some of us love hunting. Some of us love sewing or shopping or cooking food or, or whatever. You do something and doing that activity, people don't understand it. They think it's kind of weird, but it brings you joy. For some of you to make a meal or to make a dessert and then you, you present that dessert and then people are eating it and they're just like, oh man, this is so good. That brings you joy. You get a, a joy from that. Some of you are craftsmen and you make things and you build things. And then when you're all done, people are just like, wow, that's awesome. And it brings you joy to see what your hands accomplished. The psalmist says clearly, I actually delight myself in the word of God. Now, here's the key. All the psalmist had was the Old Testament. All the psalmist had, most likely, we're talking about the first five books of the Bible and some of the history books. I mean, he didn't have the complete word of God. So he's reading Leviticus. He's reading Deuteronomy. And he's going, man, I just love this. And to us, that's weird because we don't read those books the same way. Some of us never have read Leviticus because you tried and you're like, this is weird. The book of Leviticus is actually a very powerful book because it reminds us of one key truth that we have to get to make Jesus make sense. And that is where there is sin, there is death. Where there is sin, there is death. And we have to understand that because if we understand that, then we get, man, but I have sinned and the response to God, of God to my sin is death. Therefore, I'm separated from God from eternity. But Jesus came and died for me in my place and covered my sin, took my sin. You see, I, I believe the psalmist was reading these words and he understood that God was working a plan. And this psalmist was excited to read of what God had done and what God would continue to do. I mean, could you imagine reading in the book of Exodus, the, the great exodus of God's people out of Egypt and freedom and all of this. And the psalmist is saying, I just read that and it excites me because I think about who my God is. 
that my God is for me, not against me. Even in the New Testament, there's so many times the Apostle Paul references the Old Testament and there's joy in his writings as he talks about what God has done and what God will do. We study the word more and the concerns and interests of the world less. I love a quote by John Flavel, who was a Puritan author. He says this, talking about the word of God. He says, treasure up its rules, referring to the word. Treasure up its rules in your hearts and you will walk safely. Isn't that what the psalmist is saying? I don't want to sin against you, God, so I'm going to treasure your heart. I'm going to hide it in my heart. And this John Flavel says it the same way. As we treasure up its rules, as we see it as a valuable treasure, we will walk safely in this world. If you want to know what the will of God is for your life, study the word. Because I can tell you one thing clearly. The will of God for your life is that you would strive to avoid sin. See, so many of us are like, I just want to know the will of God for my life. Well, if you're living in unrepentant sin, that's not the will of God. I can, I can tell you that. And so how do I know that I'm seeking after the will of God? Well, I need to know that I'm not seeking after the wrong things. And how do I not seek after the wrong things? By hiding his word in my heart. By treasuring up its ways. And I will walk safely. Meaning I will be protected in my path because I'll have wisdom. I'll see the enemy's attacks coming. So we study the word more and the concerns and interests of the world less. Thirdly, we search after his will through fear of God, study of his word, and through our life. Through our life. How do we do this in our life? Well, we put our beliefs into action. We put our beliefs into action. I want to go over to John chapter 7. John chapter 7 and verse 17. Again, if you're using a Bible provided, page 749. 749, or John 7 and verse 17. Now this verse, we're taking the principle of this verse because it's speaking to the person of Christ and what Christ did while on earth. But I'm going to draw the principle out from this passage. John 7 and verse 17. If any man will do his will, that being the Father's will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. So this is speaking about Jesus, and they were beginning to bring accusations, and Jesus is beginning to teach and share all that he has done. And you can go back up to verse 14 to see in context. Now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And what is he teaching? He's teaching doctrine. Doctrine just means a teaching or something that's being taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How knowest this man letters, having never learned? Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. The teaching I'm giving you is the word of God. It's the Father's words. It's his teaching. Verse 17, If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. He's saying, listen, you're going to know if what I'm teaching and preaching is true by watching me live it out. That's really what Jesus was saying. If you look at my life, does my life and my actions and activities reflect the honesty of the teaching? What I'm teaching actually matches with what I live out. Now, I know what you're thinking. Right there, a lot of us just went, whoop, issue, problem. I have an issue with that because I very much believe the word of God, but I very much do not always live it out. 
I think I'm fair to say that it's fair to say that I've, I can say that's true of my Christian life. I've not always, although I've, since the age of 16, coming to know Christ, I believe the Word of God is the Word of God, page to page, cover to cover. It is the Word of God, true, on every page. But I'll be honest and say that I've not always lived as though it was true. I've stumbled and struggled as you have in our walks with Christ. And we've seen the flesh win in moments of weakness. And we've had to repent and turn back to him and say, forgive me for that, Lord. So it's not saying we're perfect in this. What it's saying is my desire is to live out what the word says. And as we do that habitually, we're going to discover and, and realize the will of God for our lives. For example, if you're in a situation in your workplace and you're tempted or asked to do something that you believe violates the word of God, you, you cannot do it because you believe God's word says you should not do that. It would be right then to say the will of God then is for me to live out what I've studied, what I've learned, what I've understood from the word of God, even if it means my employees or my employer is not going to be happy about this. I think of a situation where I was working at a job and I was asked to basically, basically lie, but it was more like just kind of fudging some things on some paperwork. And it was more or less like, hey, you know what? Uh, this item was uh, shoplifted or stolen. And so we, we lost the money on that. But the company that we get our products from, we can, we're allowed to write off X number of products as though they came damaged to us. And we'll get reimbursed a percentage of that. So what we want you to do is go out on the floor and anything that you ever find that's been stolen, a package broke open and left in the aisle, write that number down. We'll turn that in at the end of the month as though it was damaged and we'll get a percentage back of that. That's lying. That's deceit. And in that moment, as this my manager was basically saying it to me like, it's no big deal. Like, just go do this. It's fine. Everyone does this. I mean, that's not what they said, but basically in that moment, what was the will of God for my life to submit to this person that's over me and say, okay, yeah, I'll do this or to realize, no, 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 no. My life needs to reflect my beliefs. And so I cannot do that. I'm sorry. So I said, no, I'm sorry. I can't do that. And the person went, okay, no big deal. Took the pad of paper, went out and did it themselves. Now, I don't agree with that either, but that's not my call. Because apparently this is from the owner of the store, the managers. This is all just, well, they're not, you're not going to tell anybody. They all do it. But in that moment, I had a choice to make. Is my life going to reflect what I believe the word teaches? And I wish I could tell you that every time I was in those moments, I always chose to follow the word. That's not the case. There are many times in my life where I very much knew what the word wanted me to do. And I quenched the spirit. I ignored. I disobeyed. Because I believed the lie that whatever I was receiving in that moment, whatever I was getting in that moment was greater than the pleasure I would feel in pleasing my father. See, again, because ultimately I wasn't living with a fear of God in my heart in that moment. I hadn't really believed the words that I studied and I thought the cares and interests of the word world were greater and would bring me greater joy. But as I've grown in Christ ever so slightly... <laughs> I mean, it's at times I feel like God's up there going, could you just get up and walk? Because you've been crawling for a while. You ever feel, you look back and you're like, man, God, I really thought I'd be farther down the road than I was I am now. Don't ever beat yourself up for that though. Because we're all on this journey with Christ. 
And I'm not saying that we aren't, shouldn't be motivated. Paul says, hey, you need to receive this, but you can't receive it because you're too immature. You're not as grown up as you need to be. There's going to be challenges like that from God. We need to pursue growth. Amen. We need to strive to grow in Christ. But we're all on a journey. And so guess what? When you realize and you look back and you go, man, I see how I believed the lie. I see how I thought that would bring me joy greater than pleasing him would bring me joy. I see it now clearly. Then praise God that he gave you the ability to remember because now the next time you're in that moment, God's spirit's going to say, are we going to do what we did before or are we going to make a different decision? And praise God that his grace lifts us up, picks us up and gives us those opportunities to learn and to grow. It's never okay to disobey God's word, but I'm so thankful that when I've disobeyed, there's repentance and grace to pick me back up. And he says, hey, guess what? I'm still going to use you. I'm still going to use you because my will is working in you. I'm working in you for my pleasure. Jesus makes it clear that we know the message of God to be true when we see it practically lived out by those that are followers of Christ. One author said it well when he said this, Reduce what you know into practice, and you shall know what is your duty to practice. Reduce what you know into practice. That means everything I know God wants me to do, begin doing it. And then by doing that, you will know what is your duty or calling to practice. You can reference Psalm 111 verse 10 for that idea. As we live out what we have studied, we are aware of how God may be moving in a situation or in a moment. We become aware of how he would want me to respond in a moment or in the grand call of things. We have a fear of God in our hearts. We fear him. We honor him. We revere him in truest sense of the word. We have an understanding of his word. We study the word more. We live it out in our lives. Fourthly, we pray. We understand. We seek the will of God. And we search after it through prayer. What do we pray for? Because prayer is one of those things that you say, well, pray. Well, I do pray. Well, what are we praying for? I believe a couple things we can pray for quickly. First, we pray for illumination. We pray for illumination. We pray for understanding. We pray for a wisdom. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 makes it clear that our ways and our thoughts are not his ways. That we don't lean on our own understanding. But in all our ways, we acknowledge him. We look to him in all ways. So we pray for illumination and understanding. We also then pray for direction. James 1.5 makes it clear that if, we, if any of us lack wisdom, we ask of God, the only wise God, the only truly always wise, un, I should say it's impossible for him to not be wise. He cannot be anything other than wise. And so we seek his wisdom. We ask for illumination. Spirit of God, open my mind to what you have for me and give me wisdom in the direction that you would have me to go. We pray frequently and fervently because we are constantly in need of both understanding and direction. There is never a moment in our lives where we don't need wisdom, understanding, and what direction we need to take. As a parent, this is true. Often there's times I need to pray and say, God, I don't know how to solve this problem with my voice. There's a way I want to solve it. But that's probably going to add some conflict. That's probably not the best way to solve it. And again, what is our first reaction to a situation when we're trying to live the will of God? Do we just react and then pray and say, sorry, forgive me? Because that probably was wrong. 
Or do we seek him first? Do we pray first? And are we praying fervently before we're ever in that conversation? See, all of us are going to be tempted in situations, but the key is, am I practicing fervent prayer before I get into that situation? So in that moment, I've already kind of disciplined myself that my reaction is prayer. So I go to prayer first. I don't call my friend and ask what they think first. I don't ask my whatever the person in the conflict with me thinks. I don't even look to myself. I don't look to my heart or my understanding. No, no, no. That's foolishness. My heart is deceitful. It's wicked, naturally speaking. My, my conscience has been perverted and corrupted by sin. I don't look to me first. No, I pray and I look to the only wise God and say, what would you have me to do in this moment? Then we can get wise counsel from other people. Then we can pursue other avenues. But it needs to start first with prayer. When you are wondering what God's will may be in a situation, do you pray? Or do you begin down the road of what makes the most sense to you? How you think the problem should be solved? Now that may be the same answer. I don't know. Maybe because you've studied and you've done these things and you're living it out, it will be the same answer. But we always need to pray. When you study the word of God, you're going to find case after case where God's will was clear, but individuals still said, wait, pause. Let me just make sure about this thing. And I believe that's wisdom is to pray before acting. So many of us act and then pray, and we have to pray for forgiveness. Lastly, another point, and again, not an exhaustive list, but another way that I believe that we seek after the will of God, and we're going to close after this, is that we need to trust. We need to trust. We have a fear of God in our hearts. We study the word more and the cares and concerns of the world less. We have a, um, wow, just gone. Don't you hate it when it happens? So uh, study the word, fear. Um, some, what was the other one? That's it. Yes, live it out in our lives. Thank you so much. We pray and then we trust. Wow, that was just whew, gone. Okay, I'm glad you guys are taking notes, helping me out. We trust. What do I mean by trust? The providence of God as he leads us and we will see the faithfulness of God and be humbled before our God. We trust in the providential hand of our God to lead us. And as we trust in him and his leading, we will see the faithfulness of God and we will be humbled before the mighty hand of God. And we see that in 1 Peter 5, 6, this idea of humbling ourselves before the mighty hand of God. The reality is that God is working in and through our situations. And with our eyes seeing his moving through the word, we can trust in his hearts. God allows both good and bad into our lives. Both are intended to draw us closer to him as he conforms us to the image of Christ. We cannot control what he allows into our lives, but we can control how we respond to those things. If it is a providential hand that brings blessing We rejoice and we praise. If it is a providential hand that brings affliction, we rejoice and we praise. Because we trust that God is allowing this into my life to conform me to the image of Christ, that I might live his will and be pleasing to him. Maybe today of all days we understand we trust the heart of our Father. We trust the heart of our Father. My prayer in giving you these simple points as I pray, I was able to receive at least some of this in my own studies. That in giving you these simple points is that you and I will grow in the grace and knowledge of our amazing God. 
that you and I will begin to see a maturity in our understanding of God's will for your life, starting in the everyday moments. Also, begin to see a moving from your will being the most important drive in your life to his will being done for his pleasure. Let me close with this. Maybe you're here today and you think you're unusable to the will of God. You've blown it and there's no way God could ever use you. There's no way that God could ever possibly work in and through you because of what you've done or how far you've gone or the missed opportunities that you see in your life. The reality is nothing is farther from the truth. If you will repent and look to him, he will move through your good and bad for his glory. I'm not saying there's not bad in your life. I'm not saying there's not sin in your life at times in your life that you've fallen. What I'm saying is God is gracious and able to work in all things and bring about this good. And what is the good to conform us to the image of Christ? That sometimes means bringing blessings and sometimes it means a rod of affliction. And when both come into our lives, we don't Long for the one and lament the other. We long for both because if both bring us to the glory of God, allow us to understand what it means to glorify God, and we're in his image, then we are so thankful that we get to be a part of that, that we get to be able to live the will of God in our lives as we fear God and understand what that means, as we study the word, as we live it out in our lives, as we pray, we can trust that God is working even when I don't see it. This is the biggest thing people say. I just don't see God working in my life. I don't think I'm doing his will. Well, if you're pursuing his will, living out what you believe, praying and seeking him, I promise you he is working. It's not will he work, he is working. You may not see the fruit of it just yet, but he's working. He's working in you, into others, and it's a glorious thing when he is praised because of it. And we please him, so that brings us joy. I'm going to ask that we bow our heads right there where we are as we spend a few moments in invitation and response. Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for this morning. We thank you for your wondrous grace that meets us right where we are. And Lord, when we surrender and repent to you and receive Christ as our Savior, you meet us where we are, but you don't leave us where we are. You begin to work and conform and shape and mold us into the image of Christ that we might be pleasing to you, that your name and your glory might go forth. And so, Father, we thank you for the opportunity you've given us to be involved in what you're doing in this world. Your will, Lord, is not some mystical thing that we will never understand. I believe it's simple. It's taking what we find in the word, the call to evangelize, the call to make disciples, the call to share our faith, the call to love you with all of us, to support your local church and to serve with our gifts and talents in the local church, to realize that our stuff isn't our stuff, it's really your stuff. And so if we need to surrender it, it's for you. The call to love our neighbors as ourselves, to serve those around us in our community. The call to be connected to the local church that we might be strengthened and challenged and able to mature in Christ, that we might see ourselves sin less and please you more. Father, these are things that we see in your word, and I pray that we would not treat them as mystical, but we would understand that they're meant to be understood and lived out. And so I pray that at the beginning of this, we talked about the reality of the fear of God. I pray that we would start with that. Just honor you for who you are, for who you declare yourself to be. I know you're our father in Christ. I know that you love us so much and we're amazed by that. But I pray that that would not translate into some lackadaisical, apathetic, flippid, even 
ultra-casual type relationship where we stop recognizing that we only have access into the throne room of God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. That you invite us in, not because of our worth or our value or our merit, but solely by grace. So help us, Lord, to understand who you are because, Father, I, I truly believe the more we have a fear of God, the greater we would appreciate the grace of God in our lives. And so, Father, in all these things, I pray that you'd be glorified, that you would lead, guide, and direct as we respond to you. If there's anyone here that needs to know you as their Savior, I pray that they would come, bend a knee, either here at the altar or in their hearts, there in their seats, and receive you as their Savior, calling out to you, repenting of their sins, trusting in Christ for eternal security. Father, for those of us that are followers of Christ, that have asked the question, what would you have me to do? I pray that we would take these simple ideas, these simple steps, begin to apply them to our lives and watch you lead us for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we're led in a song of invitation? Would you respond in whatever God is doing? Maybe you want to come and pray and say, Lord, help me to apply these things to my life that I might please you. Again, whatever God is doing, would you respond to his leading as we sing?